Joy seekers, joy givers, anyone looking for an infusion of joy, you've come to the right place. My name is Deb McGregor. I'm the host of Live Joy, Share Joy. Today, we are going to talk all about joy and writing. I mean, there are so much to talk about with writing, and everyone can be a writer, but of course, there's some that really have a gift, which is why we've invited our special guest, Wendell Affield, to join us today. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Deb. Thank you. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. We have so much to talk about. We should let people know that not only are we going to talk about writing, we will also be talking about your new book, Barbara, which has just been released. Yeah. I am so excited about that. We'll we'll get to that because, oh my gosh, like you and I talked, we could spend three shows on Barbara alone, right? (laughs) Yes, we could. Yes, we could. Let's give people an idea of writing and you. I always tell you you are the most amazing writer is something writing like is this something you've done all your life you know you asked me earlier when i first felt moved to write and i'll i'll tell you a quick story in 1964 i had gone through five foster homes and decided it was time to see the world so um i hopped a freight car and spent the summer out in the northwest in hobo camps and riding the rails and whatnot. And that fall, I came home to go to school, and I thought I, we didn't have TV or anything out on the farm. We did a lot of reading. And so I had an old Reader's Digest, and I saw where they wanted first-person accounts. They paid $300, and I thought, I can do that. So a wow. month, month or two later, I got my first rejection letter. Oh. <laughs> Which... I'm laughing in that I'm looking at these amazing, brilliant works of art that you have now and thinking, I'm so glad you kept on going. (laughs) Thanks. So when you, you obviously did start writing and by the way, we could do a whole show just on you writing the rail cars. I mean, how do I not know? I mean, I know these things, but it just, when you say them in this context, I think, man, that's a whole nother story to talk about with you. It is. Your life is actually amazing. And one of the reasons I'm glad that you did start writing and really discovered this gift that you have is because you truly have lived like 10 lives, maybe even 11. I don't know. You're just, there's so many things from your life. And one of the things that I appreciate about you so much is that you don't just write to share those stories. You also teach others how to write to also process emotions. Mm-hmm. So, Talk to me about this, how you started realizing, you know what, everybody can use writing as a tool, because I think this was a big deal for you. You know, that's that's an area I really have gotten involved with, is encouraging people to tell their stories. I came to realize probably 25 years ago now that if we don't tell our stories, or they die with us. Um, I was invited several years ago now, to speak at a hospice volunteer dinner. And I asked the organizer, I says, well, what should I speak about? What should I talk about? And being a veteran, she said, talk about end-of-life regrets veterans have. And so as I researched it, I was amazed to learn that one of the greatest end-of-life regrets veterans do carry is that they never told their story, they never shared with their family, and their story was going to die with them. And so I, I, that kind of prompted me to start writing my Vietnam memoir, Muddy Jungle Rivers. 
And now that's published in 2012. And since then, I encourage veterans especially, but also all senior citizens to tell their stories. And there's so many, I do research uh, workshops on reawakening memory and how to track down the past um, for, for families with a veteran in their family. Um, getting old military records is a huge resource, and you can, you can initiate that search through the National Archives. Um, that's just one place to start. Another thing that so many families can do, even with non-veterans, is dig out old, old photos that aren't labeled or, or are labeled. But photos are wonderful memory prompts, especially for the older people. And, you know, just looking at a picture that reawakens so many memories and you can get so many sensory details just listening to that family member describe, you know, some past event. Yeah, well, and what's coming to me as as you're talking about this is these can also be used as prompts to start writing. The minute you look at the photo, it's like, ah, I have a place to start. Because I think sometimes with writing, people say, well, where do I start? Yeah. And that is, that's one great way for people to start and to keep going, actually. It really is. One of the big things that I kind of discovered by accident after my mother Barbara died was I had these bags of negatives. And I started, I bought a light box with a magnifying glass where I could put a dozen strips of, mag- of negatives on. And it's amazing the pictures that I discovered, so there's a few of them in my Barbara and in my Pons books from negatives that I had developed. Because when you think about it, when photo albums were created, the person that created that album always used the pictures that presented them in the best light. The rest of them eventually got pitched or whatever, but the negatives still remained. And the negatives tell a true story. Yes, they do. It's as you're talking about this, I'm visualizing these two boxes in my house full of negatives, right? Yeah. Now we realize that the current generations probably don't have a clue of what we're talking the, about. They're probably scratching their head. What's a negative? <laughs> my my husband and I were watching a show the other night, and they had uh, they were actually flipping through. Do you remember the old carriages or where you put the little uh, slide things in oh, and it sure. would click click yep, click yep. right the projectors? Yeah. And he's and and my son walked in. He goes, "What's that thing?" <laughs> yeah. 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 We're like, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's which to me, this actually brings up why is it important to write so that we have these memories and we preserve these accountings of life. It's so important. Yes. When I was when I was researching. So the audience knows a little bit after my mother died, she struggled with mental illness, borderline personality disorder. After she died. I discovered locked in our chicken house out on a farm 200 years of our family history with thousands and thousands of letters. And so I spent the past 10 years kind of creating a timeline and filling in gaps as I, as I organized the, ma- the letters and documents and whatnot. But, and I transcribed so many hundreds of letters. I got a um, word recognition software because I'm a really slow typer. And that worked. That was wonderful. That was a huge help. But um, as I was doing these letters from my grandparents and great grandparents, I came to the realization that's sad with this younger generation. There's not going to be a paper trail because how often do we read something and hit the delete button? 
Yeah. Oh, it's so true. Well, you brought up Barbara, and I think we need to start talking about Barbara because, as you and I mentioned, there's so much to talk about. You, uh, you when you and I were talking, you said, "Oh, I've got this new book coming out," and and I said, "When you know, when it comes out, we need to we need to talk about it." So you gave me a copy of Barbara, uh, which is about your mom, mm-hmm. and. It's actually a part of your Chicken House Chronicles. It's a third book. It's the third book. So first, let's explain to people about the Chicken House Chronicles so they understand the context of this. Okay. Well, as I mentioned earlier, I found these thousands and thousands of documents in the Chicken House. And when I first started exploring them, and I knew there was more than one book here. There was so much information, and it was so compelling, and it was such an unusual story. Here's this lady who was born into affluence in Seattle. Her her family owned, uh, today, her great-grandparents' frat mansion in Everett, Washington, is on a historic uh, like land. The, yeah, on the land. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, that's um, amazing. So you, if you're ever out in, in Everett, you can contact the owners of the frat mansion. I think they do tours. But anyway, so her, she came from a very well-to-do family. She went to private schools in California and in Connecticut. Um, But as a young teenager, uh, mental illness started manifesting, and and no one knew what was the matter with her. For decades, my grandmother wrote that she was schizophrenic. Okay, I have many, many dozens of references to Barbara being schizophrenic. And so I started after the chicken house discoveries i started really studying schizophrenia psychology to me is fascinating um i started really digging into schizophrenia and the term borderline personality disorder kept popping up and so my wife and i were flying down to tucson to visit our daughter and i was in the airport in st paul and in this little book kiosk i discovered Borderline Personality Disorder Demystified by Robert O. Friedel. And I bought it, and by the time we landed in Phoenix, that book was underlined, the margins were filled with scribbles, and it fit uh, the author's symptoms that he described his sister had borderline, so he was truly an authority beyond being a psychologist. Um, But it fit Barbara to a T. And I realized this is what she struggled with. So that, that for me, was a big breakthrough. And when you read the symptoms of borderline, you, you know, you can fully understand her struggle. Um, and, and so I, as the manuscript developed, and there were so many documents that reinforced the symptoms that she struggled with, um, her rage. There's a few times in the book I document my grandmother's diary entries, um, where Barbara beat her mother up. Um, and, and on the farm, we were witness to her rage, and, and that was a big part of it. Um, fear of abandonment was her number one struggle, and that's kind of, that's normal apparently with borderline. I'm certainly not an authority on it, but um, that's what I think is the root of Part three, actually, she went through, during the 1940s, she went through at least four relationships. And out of those four relationships, um, four kids were born. Two to the first husband, um, one 
a daughter was born, and then myself. And um, we knew who, we, my oldest brother, Chris, remembered the 1940s a little bit. And so he gave us some information. But um, in 2014, my sister Laurel and I, I think it was 14, my sister Laurel and I drove down to um, Illinois and got DNA samples from my two older brothers that lived down there. And um, we sent those in. Let me back up a moment. Laurel and I did our DNA in 2014, and we discovered we had different fathers. And so then we went down to Illinois and did the other two and discovered they had a third father. Um, so this um, in 2017, Laurel got we registered everything on Amazon on Ancestry.com, and in 2017, Laurel got a phone call out of the clear blue, or an email message, I guess it was, that I have a connection for your DNA, a very close connection, either, you know, first cousin. And so when he mentioned a name, we recognized it from our oldest brother talking. And Laurel and I, it just serendipity or whatever, we, I had a, I was registered as a speaker for a military reunion in Chattanooga. And Laurel was invited down to Cincinnati. So I told her, pack your bag. So we both drove down to Cincinnati. I dropped Laurel off. And I went on to Chattanooga. But when I was done with my business down there, I came back and spent a couple of days in Cincinnati. And I met the man, David, who had made the connection. And he's a retired genealogy professor. We are going to get back to David, the genealogy professor. And we're going to leave people in a little bit of suspense. Okay. Because we're going to take a break. We are talking with Wendell Affield. I know everybody's on the edge of their seats. Oh, my gosh, what did you find out? We will be back after this brief pause. We're talking with Wendell Affield, the author of Barbara. We'll be right back. When it comes to planning for your future, you want an advisor who understands your Christian values. Ameriprise Financial Advisors Gina Ripkema, Shelley Loff, and Donna Gunderson offer financial planning based on biblical principles. They can help you plan for your goals in a way that is consistent with your faith. Call Gina Ripkema, Shelley Loff, and Donna Gunderson today. Office is located downtown Bemidji at 122 3rd Street Northwest or at 1202 1st Street East in Park Rapids. Ameriprise Financial offers financial services without regard to religious affiliation or cultural background. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Arise Financial Group, a division of Ameriprise Financial Services, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Are you currently renting your home? Give Team Aylesworth, Noemi, Harry, and Abby of Real Living First Realty a call. Trust them to help guide you through the home buying process. With interest rates as low as they are, now is a good time to take that leap into being a homeowner. The award-winning customer service team is ready to make you their priority. Call Noemi at 218-760-4689 or click the link for Team Aylesworth on the Business Impact Partner page at yourqfm.com. Make owning a home your reality today. Welcome back. My name is Deb McGregor. You're listening to Live Joy, Share Joy. Our special guest is Wendell Affield, the author of Barbara. He does a lot more than that. But right now, we are almost entranced into his book, Barbara, right now. And Wendell, you've just taken us to this point where you have come in contact with David. Take so us my, sister-in-law, my sister and I refer to David as the wizard because 
he discovered our biological fathers. And first he discovered laurels, like I say, in Cincinnati. And when he learned that I didn't know who my father was, he, like a dog with a bone, he he took it and ran. And, and I just, I thought he's never going to find out, you know, how how can it possibly happen? And he's... At the in the appendix of Barbara, my latest book is about twenty page part of the search he did. So for people that are interested in genealogy, um, but he yes he did discover my family. They live out in New York, several of them on Long Island, and and uh, it was in twenty nineteen. Laurel and I actually drove out and we picked David up in Cincinnati. He was our guest and came with us. And we spent just an amazing week with my new family out there. And they were just all so accepting and loving. Yeah. I was, yeah, yeah, it was just an incredible experience. I just I feel like we need to take a pause into this moment here. I mean, you have lived how much of your life not even having this piece of the puzzle put yeah. together. And then all of a sudden, here comes David, the wizard, as as you know him as. And he literally starts putting this all together, helping you put these together. And all of a sudden, you've got family you you didn't even know about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Six siblings, five brothers and a sister. Oh, my gosh. Just amazing people. It's just amazing. And and what was it like when you met them for the first time? You know, I write about it in, in my Barbara book. When we drove out there, when we my first contact with Louis, I you know it's a natural man thing I guess to shake hands. So I we walked into his office. He owns a yacht yard. I have his sweatshirt on this morning. Sag Harbor Yacht Yard. Anyway, um, I reached out to shake hands with him, and all of a sudden we were just in this giant bear hug, and it just felt so natural. Just so natural. There was something that you wrote about in the book about them saying to you, was it that you had your dad's eyes or there was something about you had your dad's eyes or facial? There was something that I I remember when I read that. I was like, oh, my heart just went off. Yes. I, I, and that was one of the things that I wrote when I first saw Louis. He, he, he described in the letters and our first letters and emails, he said, he, thought maybe there was some truth to it when he saw my eyes because I had the eyes of his father. And the way we first, David, let me back up just for a moment. When David made the connection, <coughs> he um, he suggested contacting one of the siblings, and, and David sent me like a synopsis of each sibling. And so I studied them, and I thought... Who, which one should I reach out to? I didn't want to do all of them because I didn't want them to feel overwhelmed like I was a stalker or something. So as I, as I studied their profiles, I thought I'm going to reach out to Louie because Louie and I had something in common. In our youth, we had both spent time on small boats, myself on a riverboat in Vietnam and Louie on fishing trawlers out in the Atlantic. And so... I sent Louie a, a letter, and, and then I enclosed my uh, memoir, Muddy Jungle Rivers, with it. And the same afternoon he got the book, um, he called me up, and we visited for about an hour. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. And, that, just... and, you know, it's like you said earlier, I spent all my life 
not knowing who my father was. But I was aware that I had this empty spot, okay? Louie and all my new siblings, they had no idea, no clue. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and, and then here you are, and now you've developed this relationship with yeah. them. Just amazing. Wow. I mean, just I just kept thinking of, like, I, I, this thing that kept coming up to me is, like, God provides when we're ready for it. And you were at that point in your life where yeah. that empty gap or that place, it's like, oh, here's a way that God is filling a little bit of that for you and bringing these siblings to you. It's just mm-hmm. fascinating. So this book, I just have to tell you, I was privileged enough, by the way, for those of you listening, we're going to be letting you know how you can get your copy of this book and even get it signed by Wendell himself. But one of the things that really stuck out to me, first of all, I, I want to say you can't put it down once you start it and yet for me i needed to put it down because there was so much brilliance to absorb and also not just brilliance but depth of content of things that needed to be reflected upon and the magnitude of what is in this book is it's profound wendell i I don't even know how to use any other word but profound And one thing that really struck me is the amount of time and energy and effort as I picture you cleaning through this chicken house, finding these letters, and then and even actually having them in here, little pictures of them. um, And the even and you know, they're authentic because of the terminology people would use or even Mm -hmm. the way, you know, dearest or there were there were different terminologies. um, I forgot the one about the snore for going to bedtime. It's oh, yeah, it's escaping me a little girl. Yeah, when she was a little girl. But um, these were things that for me just really resonated with the authenticity of this project, Mm -hmm. because it's not just a book. It's it's so much bigger than just a book. And how almost it's an homage in many ways is how I, it's like an homage to something. I I don't know. It's so brilliant. You know, one of the things that um, was a takeaway for me is, is we grew up hearing stories from Barbara. She had, it was just that picture on the cover. Actually, she's just like a few weeks past a suicide attempt there. Um, But she went to Europe to study music and she found herself in Poland on the summer of 1939. And again, with borderline personality disorder, being impulsive is a big part of it. Well, she was in Poland for probably not more than two weeks. She met this Polish engineer, okay, uh, not a train engineer, a civil engineer or whatever. Um, and he proposed to her. And in a letter that I found in the chicken house, one of hundreds, thousands, um, I th- this is how dumb I am. I thought it was written in Polish, and I showed it to a friend, and she says, oh, this is Latin. And <laughs> I love so she had it translated for me. Thank you, Marianne. Um, she had it translated, and in the letter, her Polish fiancé is writing to Barbara in Latin, and he's telling her, I know you're not comfortable writing back in Latin, so answer my letter in French. I mean, Barbara was fluent in French and Latin. She had a working knowledge of Spanish and German and naturally English. But it's one of the takeaways I had of, of how 
totally brilliant she was. And she was truly a concert-level pianist. She had studied in Europe in a short time at Juilliard. Um, But how intelligent mentally ill people can be. You know, society kind of looks at folks with mental illness and they consider them losers and write them off. and, And it's impossible for us to look at another person and understand them. I I love that you included the foreword from Dr. Peterson. Oh, thank you. In the book, I felt that that uh, it gave it gravitas to me, more mattering. There's something about um, the words that he spoke, not only about from the mental health perspective, but also the brilliance about you and what an incredible person you are. And I really, I felt that that just really added something. And I I really was grateful for that. Thank you. There was... Something I was curious about in writing this, in doing the research, what did you discover about yourself? That I'm persistent. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you are. (laughs) Um, I guess I I learned that I really have a passion for writing that I didn't realize maybe that I had before. Yeah, there's, there's just so much there. One of the things, I mentioned Barbara was in Poland, and I real quick here, I know we're timed. On her way back to the United States, this is one of the research things I did, we we grew up listening to the story about how a German submarine surfaced next to them and offloaded some British sailors they had picked up, survivors from a ship that the U-boat had actually torpedoed. And I thought, I need to learn more about this. And so I got on Internet. The Internet is an amazing research tool. And I was able to get primary source documents, original documents, a ticker tape that was filed of the account, some original pictures, photos taken of survivors getting on to the ship my mother was on. The name of it was the American Farmer. Um, but but research is so rewarding. and And for me, it filled in so many gaps. And one of the things you'll find with memory is not always right. And, like, I learned things from just that incident and many others, but um, I learned things that my mother never could have known. Um, She mentioned she, to the day she died, talked about how the British um, planes strafed and bombed the U-boat and it sank. Well, in my research, I discovered it, in fact, did not sink. It it uh, crash-dived, and several of the German sailors died. But um, it didn't. It went on sinking American ships and other Allied ships for another two years before, in fact, it did get sunk. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So there's, there's so much to learn out there, so oh. much. One of the things that I did in Barbara to ground the reader, I would slip in little bits of history for context. For example, I mentioned um, the summer Amelia Earhart disappeared. That was the same summer that Barbara made her first suicide attempt. And I thought that would give readers a chance to kind of understand the time frame. 
that was very helpful to me because it gave me a place to, uh, I'm going to use the term, a marker. It was, in my mind, I could go back to the marker. Speaking of the marker, we got church bells. Uh, We, it it gave me a reference point. It was almost as if there was a, yeah, this is at this point, my brain could connect with the time period, if you will, and some of the belief systems, some of what might have been happening. Mm Mm-hmm. I know that people are going to want to get their hands on Barbara. So we want to let them know that they can actually meet you in person and get mm-hmm. get it autographed, right? Get it autographed. You're you're in big you're in big in big uh big business now as we say you've made you've made it <laughs> as they would say. I of course I think you're just amazing anyway. Um the Watermark Art Center, November nineteenth, uh book sales begin at six. And you are also doing a reading at 7. At 7, So you'll correct. actually be reading that. And then uh, November 20th, there's a book signing at the Four Pines Bookstore. And that will be from 11 o'clock to 2 o'clock, correct? correct? Okay, excellent. And uh, we want to let people know that you also have a website. Um, mm-hmm. It's wendellaffield.com. Is basically people yep. can get not only information on Barbara, but also your other books as well. Correct. Mm-hmm. We could go on and on. And unfortunately, there's that thing called time. They're all available on Amazon, Barnes, uh, Barnes and Noble. Yeah. So, yes, <coughs> we also want to mention that you can get Wendell's book, um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. And of course, uh, we're just talking about um, the Four Pines Bookstore and the Watermark Art Center as well. Wendell, I just want to say thank you for bringing your gift of writing to the world. Thank you for inspiring us. And thank you for the gift of you. You are just an amazing person. Well, thank you, Deb. And thank you for the work you do. Thank you. Thank you. We know that it's glorifying God, so we're happy to be here. Amen. We want to thank all of you for choosing to listen today. Give yourself the gift of going and picking up Barbara. Trust me, this book on some level, many levels, will change your life. Please remember to go out, live joy, and share joy. Deb McGregor of Life Full of Joy. Thank you for tuning in to Live Joy, Share Joy. We currently have availability for corporate sponsors on the show. Do you wind with all things joy and reach our listening audience? We have several options available, including our joy boosters. Contact your QFM today for sponsorship details.